You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting cityschurch.com. Let's pray together once more. Father, as I stand before you and stand before this congregation, Lord, I am overwhelmed by your goodness and your kindness to me and my family to have had 16 months here among these brothers and sisters has been one of the great gifts of our lives. And so, Father, now, as we turn to the preaching of your word, we pray that you might be pleased once more to illuminate our hearts and our minds, to give us more of Christ, to indeed cause us to be sons of light who delight in Jesus more than anything. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you promise that your word will not return void. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, let me begin the same way that Joe began last week, because catechisms are indeed meant to be repeated. In Advent, we remember together that we are waiting in a land of deep darkness. Let me begin by introducing you to a people who are no strangers to the idea of darkness. If you were to travel to the very northern tip of Alaska, you would eventually arrive at the town of Barrow, home to about 4,000 residents. This is the northernmost town in the United States. And every single year, beginning in mid-November and ending in mid-January, the residents of Barrow experience what is known to the locals as the Polar Night. What this means is that when the sun goes down in mid-November, it won't be seen again until mid-January. No sunrise for 65 days. Can you imagine that? I mean, just just for a moment, think, think about that. The kind of toll that that could take on you. I mean, cold, short Minnesota days are bad enough. Can I get an amen to that? But imagine no sunrise at all for two months. In an interview about what it's like to live through this phenomenon, one woman from Barrow said this. One winter, in the middle of the polar night, my body seemed to go into complete hibernation. My mind stopped accepting information and my body stopped accepting commands. I just wanted to stay in bed all day with the covers over my head and for a good part of one winter, that's just what I did. And it's easy to see how a deep gloom could set over a person in this kind of darkness. And so to prepare for this, the residents of Barrow, they do whatever they can to soak in as much sunlight before darkness descends. Some buy special light fixtures that are meant to simulate the rise of the sun. 
Tanning booth usage skyrockets during these months. And one source that I found said that flights from Anchorage, Alaska to Honolulu, Hawaii sell out a year in advance around this time. I tell you all of this because as we turn to John chapter 12, Jesus tells us that another kind of polar night is about to descend. And they, too, need to get ready. This morning, we're going to zero in on verses 35 and 36 here in John chapter 12. And we're going to see three things. First, the time is short. Second, the danger is real. And third, the offer stands. We begin in verse 35. The time is short. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. And to understand what's happening in this verse, we must start back in verse 27. And here we find Jesus praying to his Father, much as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane in in the other three Gospels. This verse begins with a rather startling statement. Jesus says, Now is my soul troubled. Here we are alerted to the fact that the soul of the Son of God is disturbed, unsettled. There is turmoil within him. And if we keep reading, we learn why. He prays to his heavenly Father and he says, What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is unsettled because of what's about to come. He knows that this hour is now here. And in the Gospel of John, all along, Jesus has used this phrase, my hour, to refer to the hour of his crucifixion. He knows it's coming. And in fact, just a few verses earlier, Jesus said this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And now the hour is so close and the death of Christ is so imminent that he feels it in his innermost being. He's unsettled as he considers this hour and as he considers the fact that he's about to drink down the cup of wrath For you and I. That's what's coming. He sees it and he says, this is going to hurt. And yet, remarkably, we see that this dread of the crucifixion is not what controls Jesus Christ. Fear was never the master of Jesus. You see that? Stronger than his dread of what's to come is a desire to do what is pleasing to his heavenly father. He says, Father, glorify your name. Do what you need to do, no matter the cost. Glorify your name, Father. And the father remarkably answers back from the heavens, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. 
I mean, what a, what a brilliant window into the very heart of God and his desire to get glory for himself. And Jesus saying, yes, that's, that's what I want more than anything else. I mean, what a, what a God that we have. And then after this, Jesus turns to the crowds and he explains to them what's about to happen. He tells them in verse 32, he says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this, John says, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. But now the crowd's confused. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And here finally, we arrive back at verse 35. And Jesus answers this question saying, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light. And if we're paying attention, we should see, and should have seen last week in particular, from John 1, where it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the dark, darkness has not overcome it. So we should say, whoa, 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 it sure seems right here like Jesus has been overcome by the darkness, right? He, he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. And what we can say here for certain is that for the next week of Jesus' life, it's sure going to seem like the light has lost. Because in less than a week, the light of the world is going to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and crucified. And in the end, he's going to lie in the grave for three days. It sure seems like the darkness has overcome Christ in the next week. And he sees this coming. Now, praise God that this is not the end of the story. Praise God that Christ burst from the grave, searing the darkness that could not hold him. But I don't want us to move on too quickly here. I want us to feel the fact that as you and I wait in the land of deep darkness... So too did Christ wait in the land of deep darkness. Do you see this? He waited looking forward to the day that he was going to be seemingly snuffed out forever by the darkness. He's no stranger to the dark. He's tasted the bitterness of this world, right? He's no stranger to pain. He's no stranger to sadness. Truly, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And not only that, he himself suffered when tempted. And he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help us as we wait in darkness. Isn't that good? He's tasted it on our behalf. He knows what it's like to sit in sorrow and to dread what's to come. And yet to say, again, with open hands, Father, glorify your name. This is our Christ. He's not unacquainted with our weakness and with our struggles. Praise be to God. This brings us to our second point in verse 35. The danger is real. Jesus says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. 
In point one, Jesus said, my time is short. And now he says, therefore, this is how you should respond to this. This is what you should do. And Jesus gives a very specific command here. He says, walk. To walk is to conduct one's life in a certain way, to behave in a particular fashion. It refers to the way in which you are leading your life, the trajectory of where you're going. And so Jesus says here, walk in the light. In other words, don't just go on living as you have always lived. Live in light of the light, right? Let Christ, the Messiah, inform the way that you're living your life. Most of us in this room have at some point tried to find our way in the darkness, right? You ever been there before? I remember one time as a kid waking up in the dead of the night, and it was pitch black in my bedroom, and I needed to to get up to use the bathroom. And uh, I remember getting up out of my bed and somehow veering too far to the left My uh, bedroom door was to the right. I veered too far to the left, and apparently I'd left my closet door open, and I walked straight into my closet and sat there groping at the back of the wall for what seemed like a minute, trying to figure out, where did my bedroom door go? Right? Right? It's not pretty when you and I try and walk in darkness. Jesus knows this. And so he says, walk, walk while you have the light. Let the teaching and the life of the Messiah illuminate the way that you view reality. Let it illuminate the way that you see yourself. Let it illuminate the way that you see God and understand God. Don't go living as you have always lived when you were in darkness. Let this transform the way that you view reality itself. But this command comes with a warning. Jesus says, walk in the light, lest the darkness overtake you. Here Jesus reminds us that this world is fraught with danger. It's not neutral that you and I are up against. There is a darkness that desires to overtake us. And what's interesting is that this word translated overtake here is the same word that John used back in chapter 1 verse 5. You remember this? Here he said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the same word here. Overcome, overtake, same word in the Greek. In other words, although the darkness has not and will not overcome Jesus Christ, make no mistake, Jesus says, it can overtake you. It can blind you to God and to his glory. It can darken your mind to the beauty of Christ. Apart from the light of the world, we will indeed be swallowed by the darkness. And then Jesus adds this, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Part of what makes darkness so dangerous is its ability to blind us to reality. It's not just that we're walking in darkness apart from Christ. It's that we're walking in darkness and we have no idea that we're in the dark. That's what it means to walk in the dark. That's the reality that Christ is describing here. Apart from him, you are lost in the dark and you are totally oblivious to this reality. 
The danger of darkness lies in its ability to deceive us. Darkness is not a bold warrior that hails you from far off and says, come fight with me, okay? That's not, that's not how darkness operates. Darkness is a rogue that slips on soft shoes and sneaks up and stabs you in the back. That's what darkness is. How does it do this? How does darkness operate in this way? John 3.19 says this. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The danger of sin and darkness is that the things that our darkened hearts enjoy are the very things that will kill us in the end. Tim Keller said it this way. If you worship anything other than God, your worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never feel that you have enough. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Brothers and sisters, darkness is a rogue that seeks to disguise itself as something good in an effort to overtake and consume us once and for all. And so Jesus says, walk in the light that you might become sons of light. And this brings us to our third point. The offer stands. 36, verse 36 says this. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. We find here a second command, also in response to the fact that the time is short. This one grounded with a promise. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And what's fascinating is that John chapter 12 marks the end of the public ministry of Jesus. Did you guys know that? The rest of the book covers the final week of Christ's life. And this chapter marks the end of his public ministry. And so verse 36 is actually the final command that Jesus gives to the crowds before he departs. We should see that this is intentional. This command is of utmost importance. Think about it from John 3:36, where he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, to believe is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between being swallowed up by the darkness and welcomed gloriously into the light. But as wonderful as this is, if we're paying attention to the context here, we know that there's a problem. There is a barrier that stands between us and Christ that makes this command impossible for us to obey. In verse 40, it says this, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. In other words, because of our spiritual blindness, and because of the hardness of our hearts and our preference for other things, our darkened hearts cannot believe. 
Why? Because to believe is not simply to give intellectual assent. It's not simply to believe some facts about Christ. That's part of it, no doubt, but it goes much deeper than this. To believe in the light is to make Christ our treasure and our delight. It's to turn from loving the world to placing our hope and our confidence and our joy in Jesus Christ himself, to delight in the goodness of his light and glory. To believe in the light necessitates an enjoyment of the light. And therein lies the problem. Our hearts are so bent and so broken that they are incapable of seeing Christ as beautiful. Yes, we are meant to love the light and hate the darkness, but the problem is that our wanters are broken. You get that? Our wanters are broken. And so where does this leave us? This leaves us in a very precarious position. To believe in the light is the only way to escape from the darkness. And now we've just learned that this escape hatch is blocked. It's blocked because of the darkness of our own hearts. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Where do we turn This is where we go. We humble ourselves before a God who is sovereign over our hearts. You get that? We humble ourselves over, under a God, I should say, who is stronger than our hearts. We cry out for him to do for us what we could never do on our own. We ask for a new heart. We ask for a heart that is soft to the Lord and alive to Christ, one that is able to believe. The Bible calls this the miracle of regeneration. When God reaches down and takes out our hearts of stone and replaces them with the beating heart of flesh, a heart that looks to Jesus Christ and says, yes, that's what I want. That's the one I want to live for. This darkness, I'm turning from it and I'm claiming Christ. I'm claiming his promises for myself. I'm running to him, attaching myself to him, believing in him, tasting his goodness and running into his light. Brothers and sisters, the offer stands. And our part is to cry out to God to make this miracle a reality. Now we return to the final promise here. Jesus says, believe in the light that you might become sons of light. In John chapter 1, it says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here in John chapter 12, we see that there's a very real sense that as believers, we are not only born of God, but born of the light. Isn't that remarkable? 
We're born of the light. Our very nature is transformed so radically that we are transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light. Sons of light are no longer suited for the darkness. They are meant to live in the light. I think nature gives us a potent example of this through the metamorphosis of a caterpillar. And I love talking about this. I think I could sneak this into like every sermon that I preach, okay? Before its transformation, a caterpillar makes its dwelling on the ground. It's suited for the ground. It's built for a life in the dirt. But the moment that the metamorphosis is complete, all of that changes in an instant. And that exact same insect is suddenly meant to soar in the sky. That's what Christ is saying here. You were darkness, but through faith in him, you are now sons of light. Brothers and sisters, I want to leave you with this final word. I'm going to be commissioned out in just a moment, and I'm feeling the weight of this moment in my own heart. But let me read for you why it is that I want to plant a church. This is all flowing from what Christ has just said, but Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, we are not meant to simply enjoy the light of Christ for ourselves. As sons of light, we are meant to illuminate the goodness and the beauty of Christ to a world that has indeed been plunged into darkness. Brothers and sisters, again, this is why I want to plant a church. It's to testify to the goodness of God before a dying world. It's to tell the story of transformation, that I was dead in my sins, and that Christ at just the right moment came and removed my heart of stone, and he gave me a living, beating heart of flesh that loves and delights in Jesus Christ above all other things. This has nothing to do with me. This is the work of God, brothers and sisters. Do you know that in yourself? Are you doing this? Do you know that you're not the same person that you were before? You're a son of light. You're a daughter of light. Live in the light. Testify to the light. This is who you are. In just a few days, I'm moving down to Mankato. By the grace of God, I'm believing his promises that he's going before me. And my final word to all the sons and daughters of light in the room is this. Brothers and sisters, torch the darkness. Torch the darkness. I pray that some of you would come with us to do this. That the Lord would sovereignly call and compel you to come with us, that together we might torch the darkness and the unbelief that is descending over the city of Mankato. I pray that the Lord would call you to do that. 
And for the rest of you, I pray that the Lord would call you sovereignly to stay here and to torch the night that is descending over these twin cities. Torch the night, brothers and sisters. Let each of us, no matter where we are, wage war against, against the unbelief in our own hearts that cares more about offending our neighbors than to testifying to the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, you are sons and daughters of the light. Keep running further into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ and bring others along as you do so. Brothers and sisters, the time is short. The danger is real, but the offer stands. And so let us live as sons and daughters of the light. Let us pray together. Father, we praise you for your mercy. We praise you that you have taken compassion on those who were far from you, on each of us who were walking in the ways of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, who were delighting in the darkness. And yet, Lord, even while we were lost in the dark and ignorant of this reality, you sent the light. And you illuminated our hearts so that we could see the beauty of the light, the grace of God from beginning to end. God, we praise you for this. And we pray now that you would cause our lights to burn brighter and brighter until we breathe our last breath. Lord, bless this body. Keep them in the love of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.